can be seated. What a kind, kind introduction. I'm glad he got that name. I took some flack for that name because we were going to call it Pleasant Valley Sweet Gum Church. And uh, presence of the Lord has been here strongly. Um, it's been that way all day. I don't know uh, where you were this morning. We, um, somebody asked me last week, I made mention, I said, I, I pastor a small church. And I realized that's relative because some people pastor a church of 30, some people pastor a church of 300 or 500, and then there are churches that are, you know, thousands of people. Our church, if you filled the building and put the kids in there, it would be about 400 people. And our sanctuary seats about 350. So I would consider that a smaller church. And the one thing that has been um, imparted to, to us, and I do believe it was a dual impartation. Um, I think the first stream hit me several years ago when I merged, uh, helped merge our church with um, what was then called IHOP Atlanta, International House of Prayer Atlanta. And we became a community of prayer. And then when I took my new assignment, prayer was not really part of the core of who that church had been. And so we started a uh, Thursday, excuse me, a Tuesday night prayer meeting from, I think it was from six to eight. And as, as God began to work in me through the North Georgia revival, just in me personally, and there was a message that Pastor Todd preached about two and a half years ago. And very similar to the one that was shared last week. If you didn't hear last Sunday night's message, you need to go back on YouTube, especially if you're a leader in a local church, and you need to hear that. That is the word of the Lord for churches at this hour. The emphasis was on corporate prayer. And that's no longer like sensational. It's not cool. We've got so much hype in our churches that we've hyped ourselves out of the place of blessing, which is the prayer room. And when he preached that message a couple of years ago, um, we just began to understand that whatever the Lord wanted to do in Bethlehem, Georgia, uh, could not be done with anybody's experience, with anybody's uh, education, with anybody's gifting, that what we were asking for the Lord to do, quite frankly, we didn't know how to do. Let me just go ahead and ease some of you tonight. I don't know how to do what the Lord is going to do. Like, I know we were addicted to experts. Like, you get on a plane and a, a pilot says, I don't know how to do this. Get off the plane. Get off the plane. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that place of desperation and hunger and brokenness and humility where no matter how much you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you know there's a deeper taste. No matter how much you've drank or drink from the well, you know that it goes deeper. And so I, I, I'm sensing like right now one of the high calls on churches and leaders, and many of you are leaders in your local church. I'm just going to tell you to, to get organically simple with it. You decide when you're going to show up at the church building and pray. If you got a key, pray on the inside. If you don't have a key, pray on the outside. And invite some people to begin to meet with you. Just do it. You, you don't have to have a live band. You don't have to have it super cool. You don't need to Instagram it. You don't have to TikTok it. You don't have to do any of that. But just get a bunch of hungry people. I remember saying this. I'm going to preach here in a minute. But let me just preach before I preach. I remember saying that when we started the prayer meeting, I did not know if four or five people would come. But I thought if there are two or three in the room, I know who's going to be in the room with us. 
And that's what we wanted. We want his presence. So now that thing has burgeoned, and, and we, we pray for four hours every Thursday. And it's not super cool. We walk in at 4 o'clock, and everybody's got the vapors of their long day trailing behind them. And I tell people without joking, I need to sit in his presence for about an hour before I can enter into what he's doing. By the time that first hour is gone, there's probably, and again, we're a church of about 300 adults. By the time that first hour has passed, we're starting to sense his movement. And we pray, and there's prophetic words. We listen and we wait on him. And by the time that 745 comes when we take communion, there's about one out of every five adults in our church is in that prayer meeting. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm telling you, you get 20% of your church to show up and pray, God's going to move. This morning at 9 o'clock, and we pray every Sunday morning from 9 until, it's supposed to be till 10. <laughs> Lately, it doesn't work out that way. Probably drives our front of house people crazy because they've got their greeters and their ushers and they're ready to bring everybody in. You walked into the room this morning, you got people laid out on the floor in front of the altar, yabba dabba doing all over the place and just calling out to the Lord. Children and adults, very much like what you see here. Now, friends, let me just tell you something. I'd rather do that. I'd rather be in, I'm, I'm just confessing something. Antioch Outpost, don't get mad at me. I'd rather pray with y'all than preach to y'all. I'd rather get in the presence of God and just say, Lord, what do you have to say? Some of that prophetic gifting that's gone dormant in some of you will get unlocked in prayer meetings. Some of, some of that prayer language that some of y'all, in 1985, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What you've done with it since? Like, there's a rekindling being offered by the Holy Spirit right now. And it's not for the elite, and it's not for the special ones. It's for those that'll get still and small in his presence, tremble at his word, and cry out to him until he begins to move. So Apostle Todd and Pastor Karen, all the elders, Pastor Marty, all of you that serve here, and y'all prepare a place for us every week for 291 weeks before tonight. I don't take it for granted. I am so thankful to the Lord for what he's done, he picked this little dot on the map that nobody had heard of except moonshiners, Dawsonville, Georgia. And he said, that's where I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. And he trusts us to keep stewarding it. I look out and I see Pastor David and I see Pastor Robbie. And I think to myself, I'm so glad that I get to lock arms with these men. And let me just tell you something in case you don't know. None of us do ego. We just don't do ego. I don't know if it's because we're not 30 anymore or what, but there, there's no competition. I look at Pastor Robbie's gifting, and I'm like, I want, I want to drink off of that. I want to draft behind some of that gifting. I see Pastor David, and he moves up here, and every time he preaches, I tell him, that's the best you've ever done. That's the best you've ever done. I listened to Pastor Marty today for, for maybe 10 minutes speaking about a meeting he and Miss Paula were at last night, and I just listened to him. I say, I need your faith level, brother. I want you to lay hands on me and impart some of what is so easy for you, the complicated people like me. We just have to fight for that level of faith that comes so naturally. And then when I see Pastor Karen, by the way, anybody ready for Tuesday night and Thursday night this week? Caneo, brand new year. When our dear leader, our president of our school, stands in that place on Tuesday and occupies the place that God has appointed her for since before the foundation of the earth, the best teacher I've ever sat under. And I'm also doubly grateful. I'm just feeling the juice tonight. Y'all just feel this with me. You know what? Leaders need a 
apostolic covering. And I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not, I'm, listen, I am so glad that I have a covering. I intentionally put myself under the covering of Apostle Todd Smith along with Karen Smith. And my wife and I, we consider them not only a brother and a sister, but we consider them co-laborers in the kingdom that we get to partner with them in this little area. So friends, this is what I'm trying to say to you. Don't take for granted what God is doing up here. Keep it fresh in your spirit. And let's continue to steward this thing. If, uh, listen, if some of you are, 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 are watching and seeing, and you're not seeing what you want to see, you're not feeling what you want to feel, I just want to go ahead and just speak deliverance unto you. You're not a prisoner of what you see. What you see is not all there is to be seen. And what you feel could be accurate. It might be inaccurate. This is what we've got to continue to do. We've got to continue to lift up our eyes. We've got to continue to press into the throne room. We've got to continue to believe that the best is yet to come. Hey, when you get to glory, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to try to get to the book of Matthew here in a minute. But when you get to glory, let me tell you what's going to happen. Every single thing that ever came against you, you will experience the fullest and final victory at that time. You will look back and you say, he didn't get me there. It didn't get me there. That didn't sink my ship. That threatened me, but it lost. You know, you're going to stand on top of everything that's trying to pile on top of you right now. And what you got to do is you got to appropriate that victory mindset now. Victory is not the absence of your battle. How can you win unless there's something to fight for? And we're waiting for this easy time so we can declare easiness our victory. My friends, listen, that's called heaven and you're not there yet. You can't have a peacetime mentality when it's absolutely war is on. It has been ratcheted up a notch. And a lot of people in our churches, they're just like giving into this triumphalism. And to them, the, the triumph is, is the absence of the battle. The only way you get to escape the battle is if you go AWOL. All right, I'm, I'm, I know. It's just coming on a little strong. Well, let's just go stronger. Let's get in the Word. Let's just do that. Um, <laughs> let's, let's go to Luke 9. I will get to Matthew, but let's go to Luke 9. If you don't feel like getting challenged, you may want to get up and leave. When Pastor Todd started talking about the preachers and the soft clothing and the sweetness and the gooiness and all the, you know, syrupy approach to ministry, I was just like, keep preaching that. Just keep saying that. He talked about all those pretty preachers. He said, Lord, do away with those pretty preachers. And I walked up here as an answer to his prayer tonight. <laughs> Glory. I had two little girls come up to me at our church this morning. Pastor, can we ask you a question? Sure, sweetie. What'd you do to your hair? I said, well... Some has died and gone to heaven, and the rest of it is just laid down in surrender. There ain't much we can do about it. Raise your hand if you're ready for a glorified body. Anybody out there? Hey, listen, 
Some of you have got a, an affliction in your body tonight, and God's going to give you a little foretaste of glory divine tonight in the waters. He's going to touch you. Don't you hold back. If you've been baptized 20 times and didn't get your breakthrough, 21. You're going in 21st time tonight. There's some of you that have been flirting with darkness. Some of you have been messing around in the domain of darkness. And tonight, all that's getting broken off of you. It's going to get broken off of you. You're going to come out clean tonight. Some of you walked in addicted and you're going to walk out free. I know that. I used to be an addict. I know what he can do in one moment. One moment. But I'm going to tell you, healing, deliverance, new starts, freedom, all of that. That's all good. But what I'm going for tonight is something somewhat, it's, it's not detached from that. It's actually, in my opinion, it's a prerequisite for knowing that breakthrough is yours. I, I, I want to go after our hearts tonight because I believe that what is eating up the church in America is not primarily immorality. It's not primarily bad politics. There's plenty of that in the church. It's not even this... Um, syrupy, sweet kind of gospel. That's terrible, and that's not the real gospel. And I promise you, when the wheat and the tares thing starts happening, you're going to watch those slick, fake preachers fall down. They're just going to die. They're going to nosedive. But what I, I'm concerned about and what I go hard after in my own life, I don't even know if I have another message besides this. I feel like I preach the same thing everywhere I go. Anytime I preach, it's just wrapped up in a different thing. I, I, I find this compelling from the Holy Spirit to tell them, for me to tell you, you can't stop pressing in. You can't settle. You can't say this is enough. This is good enough. I like where I am with the Lord. I've got my needs met. I tithe. I serve. I go to church. I'm nice. I quit smoking. I don't watch R-rated movies. I don't cuss anymore. That's fine. That's, that's great if that's an expression of your faith. But, but what really the Lord is going after is our continual pressing in and laying down everything, 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 everything. And you are never laying down everything enough. Now, I'm not talking about striving. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about come some kind of fleshly trying to earn something from God. Let me tell you something. I don't earn anything from God. I will receive rewards, but I'm not trying to get something from him. I believe as his son, as his daughter, if you're a woman, that you've received everything you need for life and godliness. It's yours in Jesus Christ. And if the awareness and the revelation of that has not so rearranged your will to where you're saying, God, I've got this life that you've given me. And I don't want to hold back. And I don't want to give you incremental like dollops of who I am. I want to lay it all down and lay it all down and lay it all down. So let me talk to you about this thing that's got to die in the church. It's this attitude of me first. I know you're thinking it's the other person. Like, yeah, she needs to get rid of that, man. I, I, you preach to her, Jeff. You tell her like it is, bro. Just hold on. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's a little bit in that, of that in all of us. And the Holy Spirit's going after it. What we're asking for and believing for is no common thing. 
Like, where aren't you ruined for status quo Christianity? Doesn't it make you like, I mean, it's just, I'm like, I can't go back to that. But I also don't want to stay in this beautiful place where I've been. Like, I love where the Lord has taken me. I love the things I've experienced. I love what I've learned. I love what I've been able to do. I love being able to walk it out with others. But when, when I get still and quiet, I'm trying to read the Bible. God help me, Ty. When, when I get still and quiet, I hear the Lord whisper, there's more. Jeff, come on. There's more. There's more. There's more. And I know the way to experience the more involves a decrease in me. He's going to increase, not in who he is, but in our revelation of who he is. Listen, God doesn't get better. God doesn't improve. God isn't isn't getting more and more glorious. It's only our awareness that changes. And the more you experience his goodness and his glory, the more you're going to be compelled to lay down the things that are getting in the way of that experience. Listen to these people from 2,000 years ago that Jesus encountered in the book of Luke, chapter number 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now listen to this. This doesn't sound like the Jesus they taught you about in Sunday school. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you right now, both in this room and across the airwaves, that you would go after the mediocrity that has soaked its way into so many Christianized lives. I'm asking you, Lord, to peel the layers of dormancy off of the church in America. I'm asking you, God, that even in the midst of revival, that those that have stopped pressing forward, Lord, make them aware that by stopping pressing forward, they're sliding back. I'm asking you, God, to take away and burn off our excuses. I'm asking you, God, to blind us from comparing ourselves to other people that are doing less so we'll feel great about what we're doing. I'm asking you, God, to rearrange us on the inside. I'm asking you, God, to birth some radicals in this place tonight. I'm asking you, God, to tear down the status quo representation of your kingdom as portrayed by Christians in dead churches. I'm asking you, God, don't leave us where we are. Use your word to pierce the hearts that you've appointed to be pierced. God, give us all consideration of our own spirit tonight, our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's follow that phrase, me first, okay? 
I'm going to take you to Matthew's 19 in a moment, but you've got this individual and he just declares as Jesus is going, there's excitement in the crowd. You know, Jesus has been healing people. He's raising the dead and he's preaching like nobody's ever preached before. Miracles are happening. Whispers of his Messiahship are starting to get out pretty profoundly. And people are going to be beginning to believe this is he who will restore the glory to Israel and topple Rome. This is the one who will come and deliver us from the Gentile scum. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. And so a man in the midst of the excitement, in the midst of the movement of whatever was going on in the crowd, he just opens his mouth and he declares, he says to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You know what we would do? We'd be like, sign him up. Let's give him a scholarship to Caneo. Let's pay all of his bills. Let's bring him in. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Put him in five ministries. This is the golden child of the hour. Anybody that came to us, and I'm speaking as a leader in a church too, comes to me and says, I'll do whatever the Lord wants me to do. Back in the day, forgive me if I sound a little skeptical, but maybe I am. Back in the day, I would have been like, put him in front. Let him testify to the whole church. Let him tell everybody about his zeal. Let him tell everybody about his intentions. Let him tell everybody about what God has done for him. Let him tell everybody about what he's going to do for the Lord. I've done that before as a younger pastor. And six weeks later, you can't find that guy who once declared, I'll follow Jesus wherever he takes me. Now, Jesus is wise and omniscient. and He's not like a young Jeff Lyle pastor back in the day. Jesus hears this open declaration of loyalty. And Jesus says, let me make it a little harder on you. He says, you know, foxes, they can dig them out a little place and they call it home. You know, the birds of the air up there, they'll gather some straw. They'll gather some twigs. They'll gather some brambles. They'll put it in their beaks. They'll work hard. Those birds have their nest. Those foxes have their holes. But young fella, let me tell you something right now. I've given up everything. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You see, individuals in the initial part of Jesus' ministry, they wanted to attach themselves to him for promotion. If I follow Jesus and he's going to be king, my life's going to be better. So I'm going to go ahead and declare my loyalty to Jesus, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to seek out an, a connection with him, and I'm going to expect promotion. And Jesus is like, you're thinking promotion, but what I'm requiring is devotion. I want all of you, and I'm telling you on day one, you're not going to have a palace. You're not going to have everything you're thinking. You're not going to, you're not going to come on to my, my fellowship. Because you think there are perks that are involved. And son, before you make that public declaration that you'll follow me wherever I go, I need to tell you right off the bat, I'm headed to Calvary. I'm headed to Golgotha. I'm headed to a place where they're going to strap me to a wooden cross and they're going to spike my hands and my feet and they're going to crown me with thorns and they're going to spit in my face and they're going to pluck the beard off of my face. Now, young man, tell me again, will you follow me there? You see, friends, we've forgotten some of this. I'm not telling you that you won't be blessed. I'm not telling you that you won't be promoted. What I'm telling you is if that's why you're coming to Jesus, you might end up sorely disappointed. 
So Jesus looks at another one. It seems like it's in the same crowd in verse 59. This, the first guy volunteered himself. Nobody else wanted to do that after they heard what Jesus said. So Jesus looks at a man. He says, I want you to follow me. And here comes the first to me first. He says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus responded and said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But my will for you is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, let me tell you what had not happened. The man's father wasn't dead. The man's father was still alive. What this man is saying is, I need to fulfill my responsibility and the expectation in our Hebrew culture to take care of my father. And when my father has entered into his last days, maybe he was on a sickbed, maybe he wasn't, we don't know. But I can tell you this, the man wouldn't have been in the crowd had his dad died that morning. And they usually buried their dad on the day they died. So he's sitting there and he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you, but this is not the right time for me. I've got obligations to my family. I've got cultural expectations, but I want you to know I'm all yours when I meet these other commitments. And interestingly, Jesus did not offer him that option. Yeah, yeah, all right. I'm just going to help me, Lord, not to look at their faces. God help me. I'm going to preach right here. Because we, we don't get this anymore. We, this generation, our generation, I'm part of your generation too. Our generation is so sour-stomached on the sweet, easy gospel that we don't even know what to do with Bible passages when the words of Christ come off as, let the dead bury their dead. Did you not hear what I was saying to you? My will is for you to follow me. Guys, this is real life stuff. Some of you are right now at a crossroads and you're not imagining the tension. You're not, it's, you're not making up the pressure that you feel because you sense the inward pull of God the Spirit leading you to something that's going to cost you face with people. And he's, he's telling this young man, I mean, I don't know that it gets, it's like Jesus took it to the furthest extreme. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm a Hebrew. I'm the Messiah. I know all about the culture and how we're supposed to take care. But maybe you don't recognize who I am. Because I'm not a teacher inviting you to a little training session. I'm the Lord of glory saying, get in line behind me because I got plans for your life. You know, sometimes that's where your relationship with Jesus will take you. And there's got to be a baptism of courage that hits the church. Some of you need to get in the water tonight for courage. A baptism of courage to where we can say, I'm willing to be misunderstood in order to fulfill the will of God for my life. I'm willing to experience rejection in order to fulfill the will of God for my life. I'm willing to look like a fool in the eyes of carnal people who aren't hearing the same voice that I'm hearing. And I'm willing to go ahead and say, Lord, I know what they're going to think. I know what they're going to say, but I'm more interested in what you think and what you have said. And here's the thing. Like, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the master, like the one who owns us, very unpopular concept in our day. 
Can I just remind us? Oh, God, help me. Just, I need courage. Baptize me. Come on. You don't belong to you anymore. You quit belonging to you when you died in Christ. And when you got raised up in resurrection life, when you were born again, you resigned all your self-governing rights. He is the Lord of your life. So when he tells you this has got to go from your life, he's not inviting you to a negotiating table. When he's saying, I'm going to put this on you for my glory, he's not asking for a move, a second, a majority vote. Where did we lose the concept of the lordship of Jesus? And look where it's gotten us. Pastors and leaders and churches have got to, you know, they've, they've got to beg people to do the minimum. Like, how much more of our leaders' time could be used for glorious things in the kingdom if they weren't babysitting carnal Christians who don't know him as Lord? Me first, Lord. Let me first. Let me first. Let me first. Let me first. It's easy to see when it's written out. It's hard to see when you're looking in the mirror. The second guy. Another said, I'll follow you. But he says, but let me, let me put some conditions on it. It's not going to work, fella. He says, but let me first, 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 me first. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have the advantage of omniscience. Jesus, when he's dealing with these people, knows what's in their heart. Jesus is not so hardcore that he doesn't want anybody to say goodbye to their family. You look at Elijah's call over Elisha. He threw his mantle on Elisha. Elisha said, let me go say goodbye to my family. Elijah's like, do what you got to do. The Lord bless you. Elisha went home, said goodbye to his family, took all the tools of his trade, chopped them up, made a fire, and sprinted after Elijah and never looked back. Jesus looks at this young man, or I say he's a young man, but he looks at this individual and that farewell, some of y'all know this. Some of y'all need to face it. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Spirit on this. Some of you are being called to do something great for the glory of God, and it's that meeting with your family and those close to you that you are dreading. You got to rip the Band-Aid off. Like if you know that you know that you know that he's calling you to do something, let me just tell you what's a part of that. You're going to be misunderstood because the people that love you most don't have that calling and that certainty of that calling. So when you tell them that, it's going to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. They're not going to get it. And you know what? When the Lord sends it, oh, God, help me. When you know that you know that you know. This is not advocating rebellion. So not telling some teenager you don't have to listen to your mom and dad. You're in their house, obey. Honor and obey. Obey is the external behavior. Honor is the disposition of the heart. 
Obedience has got to flow from honor. So if you're at home, honor and obey. But when you hit that place where you are, uh, you are an adult and you are free and you are literally walking with the Lord and the Lord says there's going to be a shift. Sometimes he'll say, don't, don't talk too long and hard about it with those around you because they're not going to give you the answers you want. There may have been something in Jesus that saw that this man goes home to say farewell to those at his house. And the farewell turns into an intervention. Little Johnny, little Johan, has lost his mind. He's going to follow that maverick rabbi that is infuriating the people in the synagogues and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin. And little Johan wants to attach his life. Little Johan, you can't do that. And sometimes well-intending people talk God-called people straight out of their obedience. The call to discipleship, friends, is radical. I know that's a word that is a little overused and underperformed. But I'm going to tell you, Christianity is radical in its essence. If it's not radical, it is not quite Christianity. Like you're talking about devoting the entirety of your earthly existence to a 2,000-year-old historical figure that you've never seen with your eyes, who in the flesh, in the natural, looks like he died a terrible defeat, that his own closest followers, one betrayed him, the rest abandoned him, and then everybody else scattered. And listen, that in and of itself is radical, that you might be so touched by God to say, that's the one I want to pledge my life to. That's the one I want to live for. That's the one that I'm going to give my everything for. That's the one I'm going to serve. That's the one I'm going to love. That's the one I'm going to funnel out of the earthly kingdom resources I have into the kingdom resources to build his kingdom. That's radical. And it seems like the kind of the ooze of the church is we're trying to work the radicalness out of it so that those that are unregenerate might approve of us. Are you kidding me? Why do you care what some damned soul thinks of you and you say no to the Lord of glory who lived and died and rose and is coming again for you? And you want to you wanna dilute that down to the place where you're appeasing the lost world that you're actually supposed to reach? Guys, listen, I know I'm hollering. It's, I'm not mad. I'm just passionate about this. I'm like, it's not working. The seeker-friendly model didn't work. All it did was make us look ridiculous to an unbelieving world. And then it brought us down from potential depth into some shallow end of the kiddie pool. We're all stomping around and making splashy puddles and calling it the Holy Spirit. Listen, we're supposed to rescue them. Not impress them. We're supposed to go in with the life-saving, soul-rescuing message of the Son of God. And meet them and tell them you'll die in your sins apart from Christ. You'll pay eternal judgment apart from Christ. You will go to hell and you'll never leave hell apart from the blood of Jesus washing you from your sins. And instead, we've got mega pastors in our own city of Metro Atlanta who are campaigning. I'm not going to name names. My flesh wants to, but I gave my tongue to the Holy Spirit this morning. 
Got a Metro Atlanta mega church pastor who is slowly teaching people, don't believe the Bible. Don't believe the Bible. And in so doing, he's saying, don't believe the Bible, especially on sexuality issues, on marriage issues, on moral issues. And let me just tell you something. This dude is good. He's slick. And that's the trending. By the way, he's got a real big church. Campuses everywhere. Why? Because he's not radical. He's not radical. He's reaching dead people with a dead message that keeps everybody dead. Why does that happen? Because the world is saying, me first, me first, me first, me first. My ears itch. Can you scratch them, please, preacher? I'm sensitive and you hurt my feelings. I'm so glad that in the year 1992, 1993, and 1994, a Southern Baptist bivocational youth pastor named Scott Johnson hurt my feelings every stinking day. He made me cry. He put me in a car. I was lost. Put me in a car on break. He was my boss, by the way. Don't think you can't witness to your people at work. Put me in his car on a break. I'm high. I'm lost. I'm neck deep in my sin. And he got radical with me. You know what he did? He popped in a cassette of Carmen. Y'all remember Carmen? <laughs> I don't even know what the song was. All I know is this lost fellow was crying and snotting and just like, uh, he hurt my feelings. He put gospel tracks in the bathroom stalls where he knew we'd be for a minute. He'd stick them in my brown bag lunch. He'd play his southern gospel music and interrupt my Pearl Jam, my Nirvana, my Leonard Skinner. Y'all are acting like y'all never heard. Of. We've never heard of such things, Jeff. We were raised on the Gaithers. He made me so mad. Talked about him behind his back. Mocked him. I said horrible things about him. And he never quit being radical. He never turned it down a notch. He went to Spinal Tap 11. He went all the way up. Hurt my feelings. But from the human standpoint, he rescued my soul. Hey, there's just some folks out there in the culture today that are not going to respond to some lukewarm, milky, silky, smooth presentation of a non-gospel that the church has fabricated. We need something with some barbs in it. We need something with a little bit of a cut on it. I mean, good night alive. The church has gotten so used to bandaging up people's feelings that we forgot at times we're supposed to carry a blade. Why? Because we've listened to people say me first. And by the way, the church has started to say it. A lot, of, a lot of leaders, I want bigger crowds. What do I got to do? I want bigger offerings. What do I got to do? I want a bigger following on Instagram. What do, what do I got to do? How come my TikTok reels only have 100,000 likes or followers? I don't even do TikTok. I don't even know what they have. But how, how come it's not as big as it could be? What do I got to do? Because after all, me first. Me first. 
There's people, listen, it's not just in church leadership. There's people sitting in the chairs, sitting in the pews, smoldering and pouting because they didn't get asked to do whatever ministry or they didn't get recognized when they did do it or nobody validates my gift or nobody's opening doors for me and how come they open doors for her and that envy and that jealousy, all that is is an interpretation of a spirit that's saying me first, me first. Like it's pretty easy to diagnose. It really is pretty easy to diagnose, but diagnosing it's not enough. It's gotta be assassinated. It's gotta be crucified. So what does Jesus do in a different place? Matthew 19. I think these verses might be up on the screen. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Rabbi, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to this. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. You are wrong, sir. All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, just, just stop there at verse 21 for a minute. So this man is sincere. I think it's Luke that tells us it's a scribe. It's a Bible scholar. He's a very religious, moral man, and most of the scribes wouldn't have anything to do with Jesus. So this man even entertaining a dialogue with Jesus is a bit of a risk and a step uh, forward for him. And he asks the Lord, I hear you talking about life and life eternal. I talked to Nicodemus, and he said something about you telling us we need to be born again or we'll never see the kingdom of God. And I, I want eternal life. How can I have hope beyond this life? And Jesus meets this scribe, this Bible scholar, this scholar of the Torah, right where he is, and he just starts giving him some of the Decalogue. He just starts talking to him some biggies out of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder the guy says, never have. Don't commit adultery. The man says, never have. Don't steal. I haven't done that. Don't lie. That one's harder for me to believe. I never, I mean, anybody in here had to have to train their kids how to lie? We just kind of know how to do it. But he said, I've never done that. Honor your father and mother. Maybe he did. Love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe so. I guess he wasn't around to hear the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, if you've ever hated anybody in your heart, you've murdered them. If you've ever looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. We like to give ourselves free pass because we know how to modify our behaviors. And Jesus says, yeah, you can teach a dog to obey, but I'm going after your heart. So he asked the question, Jesus, what am I lacking? And I just, I feel like there's a pregnant pause there right before verse 21. I've done all these since I was a young boy, Rabbi. What else do I need to do that I might have eternal life? And I just see the son of God who loves him, loves him. 
Jesus paused and he says, if you want to be perfect, sell everything you own. Give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And you know the story. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus has the ability to look into everyone's life and say, hey, you're killing it right here. This is awesome. I love, I love this place where you're fully surrendered. And it connects to this place where you're just amazingly surrendered and fruitful. This is awesome. And this connects to nine other places. And these things have been amazing, and I've blessed them, and I've fellowshiped with you, and I've partnered with you in these things. And we were like, yeah, I know, Lord. Yeah, I ought to be, ought to be on a platform somewhere. I ought to be, ought to be, you know, put before the people. I ought to be entrusted with more. And the Lord says, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's going to happen. But let me tell you something. There's this in your life. And you're still in diapers on it. You're a mature son. You're a mature daughter in all of these areas. But I see this too. This makes us uncomfortable. You know why? Because we grade ourselves on a curve. The human heart, let me just get a little Dr. Phil slash Apostle Paul on you. The human heart gives itself permission to be deficient in one area because we are excelling in these other areas. And that is not compatible with what it means to be a sold out, wholehearted, laid down lover in the kingdom of God. This man said, I've given all of this stuff. I've done all of these things you've just said. And Jesus, the son of God, positions himself with holy audacity. And he says to this man, he says, in essence, me first. Jesus is the only one who can say that and it not be a sin. Jesus says, I see the one thing that's keeping you away from me, and I want you to lay it down. For this man, it was his wealth. It was his trust in his riches. How do I know he trusted in him? Because when he was told to relinquish it, he refused. Because what that thing, and it doesn't have to be wealth for you or me. There's nothing sinful inherently about being wealthy. The problem was, is this man's wealth was his idol. And Jesus does not allow us to pack our idols in our knapsack as we journey with him. And so in love, in love, he tells this man, I want you to make me first. And that's what he says to every single one of us. I'm talking to the church. I'm not talking to pagans. I'm not talking about people that don't believe in Jesus Christ. I'm talking to those of us who've been appointed for eternal glory through the blood of the Lamb that he called your name, that he went after you, that he brought you to a place of hearing the gospel and bending your heart, granting you repentance. And when you cried out, however you did it, whether you were a six-year-old child or a 106-year-old, you know, centennial genarian, whatever they call that, 
You had your heart bent by grace. And when you cried out to him, he expunged your sin record before the holy bar of God. And he declared you justified and righteous and a possessor of eternal life. He called you son. He called you daughter. That messianic psalm that speaks of Jesus Christ, it says, I'm, I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. Like he's not ashamed of us. As a matter of fact, he sealed the deal. And I don't mean to be irreverent, but he sealed the deal with the Holy Spirit of promise when you were sealed under the day of redemption. He imparted gifts to you. He started transforming what you were into who you will be. He's never given up on you. Like everybody in the room has disappointed the master in some way. We've all failed him in some way. And he doesn't walk away like we do. He just presses in. But he does have a requirement. That we listen to his voice and when he puts his omnipotent finger on something in our life. And he says from this point forward. That's not going to be able to be taken along the journey with you. I want you to lay it down. I say, Lord. And before we can even protest, he says, me first. Me first. Guys, lordship. It's become a dirty word in the church because it smacks of legalism. Lordship in the biblical sense has nothing to do with legalism. It has everything to do with love and devotion. So is it enough that we've given 90%? Is it enough that we've laid down most of it? Is it enough that we're excelling in 50 areas? Maybe it was enough before. It never was with him, but maybe it wasn't a season where he put his finger on it and says, if you really want to go on this journey with me, this has to be dropped here. And here's the thing. It's always a trust issue. Sometimes you have to lay down those things that are dearest to you. Sometimes it's a dream that you had, a goal that you had, a vision you had. Sometimes as we get older as adults and our children become adults, you have to lay down your kids and lay down your kids and lay down your kids. Mine are here tonight, and, and we've done that. Why? Because they're actually not really ours. They are, but they aren't. You know what I mean, right? Pastor Todd, I remember, and I'm, I'm sure you've done this. I'm sure every church leader in here, ministry leader in here has done I've had to lay down my ministry so many times. Every time I'm just reminding myself, I'm laying down my ministry, and he's like, it's not yours. You keep laying it down until you're saying, Lord, I'm laying down your ministry through me. I'm laying down what's yours. I'm laying it down. Sometimes you gotta, you just got to lay yourself down. There's people in the room tonight and you're wrestling with, this is not how I thought things were going to be. Lay that down. Instead of living in the hope of what you thought it would be, start pressing into the hope of what it's going to be. But in order to do that, you need to hear him say, me first. Me first. My last remaining couple of moments, I'm going to read one more passage to you. 
I'm only I'm saying the same thing. I'm just saying it from different places. Colossians one. This is speaking of your savior, the son of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things for him. Would you say that with me? All things for him. All things for him. And he is before all things, me first. How how do you feel with that? Like, how do you feel with the son of God on the throne in heaven saying to you with all of the love, all of the wisdom, all of the power, all of the grace, all of the mercy, he looks you in your spiritual eye and he says, it will be me first. Does that make you uncomfortable? I think the whole point in Jesus saying to us, pick up your cross and die daily is to kill that instinct in us that screams, me first, me first, me first. How can we be like him if our heart is crying out, I've got to be first. I've got to be the center of the orbit. I've got to have my way. It's got to be my dreams. It's got to be my vision. It's got to be my plan. All things are created for him. Verse 18, he's the head. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Everything he might be preeminent. Everything. Preeminence is not a word that we use often, but it's a Greek word that means he must have the superior status. He is to be intentionally placed by us at the highest rank. He's to be above everything and everyone else. And I'm just going to tell you as I close, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is you coming to this place. And it's, it's such a weird thing because it's a paradox. You will happily come to the place of your death. You'll happily lay yourself down as a living sacrifice on the altar. You'll happily take up your cross. You'll happily follow him. You, you will experience the blessed joy of knowing what it is not to have to have it be about you anymore. And by the way, so will everybody in your life experience the joy of it not being about you anymore. Like freedom from self is the most empowering freedom. You don't lose when you lay yourself down and you say, you first, Jesus. You actually win. He that would lose his life shall save it. That's what your master, your king, your savior said. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads while you're seated.
don't want to be vague. Have you surrendered to him? I'm not asking you if you ask Jesus into your heart. Because countless millions of people have done that with zero surrender. I'm asking you. Have you surrendered yourself to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Have you laid it all down? It's not a question of your behavior being perfect. It's a question of have you come to the place of personal bankruptcy in the spirit? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because if me first is still the shirt, the t-shirt you wear at the negotiating table with God, I need to tell you, he's not on the other side of the table because he doesn't negotiate. If you'll come to him tonight and you'll say, you first, Lord, you first, I lay down everything I need to lay down. I lay down me, I lay down mine. I lay down me, I lay down mine. And if he happened to stretch his finger towards your heart, like he did that rich young ruler, and he said, this is the thing I require, lay it down. Then I'm gonna invite you to do that. Would you stand to your feet if you're physically able? I'm not gonna be dramatic, I'm not gonna yell, I'm not gonna beg. I'm just saying, if you know tonight that you need to surrender to the Son of God, either for salvation, because you've never committed your life to Him, or a surrender slash rededication, you call it whatever you wanna call it, but I'm telling you, make a moment that you'll remember. And come down here right now. Just come, step out of your seat right now. Don't be ashamed. Just come. Just come. Come on. If he's dealing with the one thing, then say yes to the one thing he's dealing with. Just lay it down. For those of you that have never committed your life to Jesus, I'm going to talk to you. Just listen to me. You've never committed your life to Christ. Salvation is a surrender. I'm not going to overcomplicate it. The Son of God became a human being and lived the life that we were all supposed to live. And he did it perfectly without sin. And in love... He laid down that life as a sacrifice. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That means he took your place. He died for you. He died because of you. And he rose again three days later. And by that act of resurrection, he broke the penalty of sin and he invites you to trust him with your sin. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? 
Do you believe that that death paid for all of your crimes against God? Do you believe that when he rose from the dead, everything was finished and completed and all he waits now is for you to say, yes, Jesus, I repent of my sin and I turn to you in faith. Would you give expression to those words right now, wherever you are? I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. You don't need a prophet, a priest, or a pastor. Right now, you just say yes to the Son of God because he's the one dealing with your heart. And for those of you that have previously committed your lives to Christ, but tonight, he's dealing with you. That's a deal that he's doing in love. If he put his finger on it, it's not good for you anymore. So you also have a surrender. To lay it all down. Some of you need to get radical with the call of God on your life. I, I, I sensed when I was preaching that portion, the no-nonsense voice of the Lord saying, it's not up for vote. This is what I've called you to do. It'll cost you initially, but it'll bear fruit eternally. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, who is Lord, search us, expose our hearts to us, Lord. We're not running from you in these last days. We're pressing in. Broken and stumbling at times, but we're pressing in. We don't want to withhold. You didn't withheld. We don't want to withhold. We're pressing in, Lord. Take the mustard seeds of faith released with trepidation, some with fear and anxiety, but Lord, they're doing what you've asked. They're saying you first, and they're no longer saying me first. I know you're going to honor that, Lord. So breathe courage into your children. In Jesus' name. If you have letter A, I'm going to ask you to make your way right up here, right here to my left, your right. I'm going to ask altar ministry to get ready. Letter A, you're going to come right up here. Okay, this is cleared out now, so you can come up here. Either way, letter A for baptisms, come right now. If you need prayer, you want ministry. Friends, let's get some stuff broken off of us tonight. Let's leave here with nothing on us that doesn't belong. If you need somebody to pray over you, pray with you. We invite you to come right now. If I can get the prayer team to come forward. Y'all wanting prayer? Yeah. I've got some right over here that need prayer. If I can get the prayer team. Thank you. Thank you. These are going to take care of you right here, ma'am. Right here. There was a young man 
that came in tonight needing something broken off of him because of some things he'd gotten into. I'd love to take some time with you tonight. I believe you spoke maybe to Apostle Todd. You're important to the Lord. And it took a lot of courage for you to walk in and you know your need, but I don't know who you are. So if you're still in the room, would you come up here? We could take a little time with you. It's right here.